Father, we thank you for this day you've granted to us. Thank you for the beauty of it. Thank you for bringing us out here safely. Open our hearts as we study about you. And Father, we admit that no matter how much we study about you, there's so much about you we will never understand. But Father, you have revealed yourself, and I pray that what you have revealed to us we may we may study, we may pursue, that we may know you. Thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen. Um, a couple of things before we get started. One thing I'd like everybody to know is that what you're getting in this course here is not theology light. This is the same information, the same study that you would get if you would go to a college. So when we get through the two years of the program, you will have basically two classes, two college-level classes on theology under your belt. This is not theology light. We are not making it too light. I hope, hopefully we're, not, we're making it deep enough, but we don't want to go too deep. But you are getting a good, thorough um, understanding of God in this class and also the other theological issues. Um, somebody said, you know, sometimes we hit some words and some concepts and they struggle a little bit. Don't worry about that. We're going to get to all of these areas. We're going to cover them. All right. So don't worry about some terms or some concepts you may not understand yet. We will get there. Um, when it gets to bibliology, the doctrine of the Bible, the doctrine of inspiration and all of that, we'll cover all of these things. And also feel free to stop and ask a question at any time. I'm not getting paid to get through this stuff. Um, this is your class. This is for you to understand this. And the more discussion and the more arguments we have, um, yeah, arguments, uh, the better it is for you because then you will be engaged in the class. All right. Also, one thing, we're going to start, you know, we got only about five slides to go through the day, and you think, wow, you know, we're slowing down a little bit. We are, but we aren't. There's just a lot here in some of these um, concepts that we will be talking about. Some things that are very difficult probably for us to understand. And just take your time, and, and it'll make sense. Yeah? Um, this was initially advertised as a 12-week course. Yes. The, the, the theology proper is a 12-week course. All right, and then we're going to do Christology, which is a separate course. But over two years, we will get through every doctrine. Okay, we're doing it in, and that's probably a good thing to explain. Um, there's going to be about ten different courses we're going to do over two years. The first one is theology proper, doctrine of God. The next one we're going to do is the doctrine of Christ. All right, and that one will deal with such things as His divinity. Um, the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, his person and work. Um, that's the kind of stuff that you would need when the Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons come knocking at your door. All right. Um, then after that, we're going to do the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Spirit? What does he do? We'll talk about spiritual gifts, things like that. The next course will be the bibliology, doctrine of the Bible, inspiration, authority. Um, how do we know that this is the word of God? Is it complete? The canonicity, all of that. And then we're going to practice that by actually doing some, um, we will show you how to do, we'll take a book, probably take a book of the Bible and show you how to apply um, the principles of biblical interpretation so you can go back to your home and do the same thing. The next year we're going to be doing soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. Um, we'll be doing the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of the church, and the doctrine of in things. All right, so it's about a two-year program for all of the doctrines, but it's split up into courses so that, you know, you can miss one and come back and get it at a later time if you want. All right, and uh, you can jump in at any time, too. That's the nice thing about this. So that's how it's structured. Um, let's look at um, the doctrines, the omni-doctrines that uh, we have here on our sheet. Omnipotence, omnitemporal omnipresence, things like that. Remember last week we talked about... By the way, just let me, let me put one more thing in here before we get started. Sometimes there's a... Whenever you start talking about theology, there's always a group of people, or there are people that think, look, you know, why do I need to study theology? I mean, of all of the things to study, why do I need to really learn about the doctrine of God and all the attributes of God and... You know, isn't that for the guys that you know go off to Bible school? Isn't that for the pastor? Isn't that for the theologians? And the answer is no. It's for you. And the reason I say that is because um, 
the church today, one of, our, one of the great problems in the church, evangelical church today, is that the average person does not know basic Bible doctrine. And because they don't, when you have the History Channel come up with their specials, and you have the Jehovah Witnesses knock at your door, the Mormons, Christians are ill-equipped to deal with that. They just don't know how to deal with that. The other thing is that it makes the church as a whole susceptible to all of the kinds of nutty fads that come along, the Da Vinci Codes and all that stuff. People get all twisted out of shape over that stuff. And uh, the reason is, is because we don't know doctrine. Doctrine is very practical. It will get you through your week. It will help you on the Mondays and the Tuesdays at work. And it will help you face life. It will help you deal with the issues of life. And it's sort of like bodybuilding. Um, if all you eat is Hostess Twinkies and donuts and Cokes and, and that, you're, you're going to be weak. You're physically going to be weak. You're not going to be able to handle things. Whereas if you make sure that you get a proper diet, proper exercise, you take care of yourself, you know, when, when people have colds and are sick around you, you're, you're a little bit better off to handle that. And that's the way it is with theology. Theology is very practical. It's very helpful. And as we grow in our knowledge and understanding of God and of the scriptures, what you will find is a lot of these things that cause people to just spin out of control will not bother you a bit. If you understand the sovereignty of God, Achmedinejad in Iran doesn't bother you one bit because God is in control. Don't worry about that. And we can give a, a sense of calmness and a sense of stability to people who are watching us, especially when events in the world seem to spiral out of control. If God is in charge and we know that, that's going to give us stability. And it's going to make people look at us and see the God that we serve. So this is very important. It's very practical. It's not just stuff that you can influence your friends and wow people with. This is stuff that is practical for your everyday life. And I've, I've found out as I've grown in my spiritual life, the more I know about God, the more I know about His Word, the more I understand it, the more stable I am when it comes to the things that come around you in life, the more stable you are. So that's very important. That's just a little bit of a sort of a commercial here. This is extremely practical to your everyday life. Um, when we look at, uh, last week we began looking at the... Uh, infinity of God and we started out by looking at his omnipresence and uh, just a quick um, repeat of this what do I mean by when God is omnipresent he is everywhere at the same time in equal, in equal proportions God is no more present in heaven than he is here God is everywhere now that has some very practical implications for the way we live our lives right when you're all by yourself God is there he sees you. In fact, nothing you do escapes his attention. A lot of times we like to think that we can go off and we can sin in a corner and nobody knows about it. Well, let me tell you something. There is somebody that knows about it. God knows about it. God knows what you're doing in those quiet moments when you're by yourself. God knows your thoughts. God is there. He's ever-present. And he's everywhere at the same time. A second <coughs> um, important concept, the one we'll talk about a little bit today, is this concept of omnitemporality. Omnitemporal, what does that mean? From God's perspective, since God is infinite, and God infinitely exists outside the boundaries of creation, outside the boundaries of time and space, that means there is a sense in which God is not bound by time as we know it. Now, that's a very important concept to understand. And it's very important for this reason. One of the heresies we're going to be looking at in a couple of weeks is something called open theism. Open theism says God does not infallibly know the future because the future hasn't happened. Now, if that's the case, if you understand that basic premise, what you're saying is that God is a, as much a, a prisoner of time as we are, right? If God doesn't know something that hasn't happened yet, that means to God the present is a cloud. He doesn't see it. Now, he may be able to influence it, right? He may be able to make certain things happen because of his sovereignty and his power. 
but God does not infallibly know it. The scriptures, however, teach something very different. The scriptures teach that God knows everything, omniscience. And for God to know everything, God has to know the future as well as he knows the past. Nothing escapes God's gaze. God is outside the boundaries of space and time. Therefore, when God looks at creation, God not only sees creation in terms of the chain of events that occur, but God sees the ultimate end of everything. God knows what is going to happen. God knows that infallibly. What does it mean by that? God's not going to make a mistake. And that means that nothing you do, or nothing I do, or nothing anyone else does, is going to ever thwart the plans and purposes of God. We're not going to be able to somehow destroy His plan. Yes? Yeah, we're going to get to that. We're going to definitely get... Don't worry about the free will predestination election. We're going to have a great time in that. But you're right. You're right. Um, one of the arguments that the open theist crowd makes is they say, well, if God infallibly knows the future and everything, then how can he have a relationship with me? What is, why is it that he calls me to repent? Since in his mind, if I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe. I'm not, I'm not. So what does it matter? And we're going to talk about the mystery. We are going to get there. Don't worry. If we get there now, we'll never get back to this. But we are going to get there. Yes? All roads lead to Rome in the sense that... What do you mean by that? Any direction you would take in the Roman Empire, the main road went to Rome. Right. Okay, so basically any road that may be chosen still will be the same way because God infallibly knows what is going to happen. Now that does not... And, and see, that's the mystery. And part of this... When you look at, this is one of those doctrines in the Bible where you, you have to sit there and say, okay, I'll, I'll take both sides of this, although I can't put them together. God holds me responsible for my actions. But God knows what I will do. But I'm still responsible for the choices I make. This does not say, one of the problems you have if you go down this way too far is to become what you call fatalist. In other words, look, what will be will be whether I want it to happen or not, so who cares? It doesn't matter what I do. Um, there's a sense in which that is true. If you mean by that, nothing I do will thwart the eternal plan of God. It is not true. If you mean by that, I am not responsible for my choices and decisions. Because I am. And there's, there's, a, there's a, I want to put a mystery component to this. All right? Sammy, you're going to... Yeah. If God were not omnipotent, if he did not know the future, then we would have asked him to go by the prophecy. No, we wouldn't. And the only prophecy we would have would be that prophecy where you say, well, God's just powerful enough to make it happen. In other words, he could say, well, this is going to happen because I'm big enough and strong enough and powerful enough to force events to go that direction. All right? And uh, you don't want that. When you look at the scripture, when it says, you know, Roman, or Revelation 21, 22, we're going to be in the eternity future with God, from God's perspective, you're already there. Okay? From God's perspective, I am already in that eternal state. Now, for me, it's not, right? For me, i got to experience time. And one of the questions, just as an aside here, I don't have it here in the notes here, but one of the asides is someone would ask, well, you look, look, if God knows infallibly, infallibly, who's going to be in heaven and who isn't? However you want to sort that out whether God just knows that I would choose him or whether God elects for me to be there, however you want to sort that out, if God knew that, then why didn't God just create everything in the final configuration, right? Why didn't God just create things such that all the ones who would be in heaven are there, all the ones who would be in hell are there? Why do we have to go through time? Why do we have to experience this? You see what I'm asking there? The answer to that is very simple. It's not for God's benefit. It's for my benefit. All right? Yeah, pardon? Change our will. It's for, it's for me. When you get to heaven, let's say, let's, say you, let's say God created you and you just woke up and you were in heaven. And God says, well, you know, I had this plan and you're all the elect, you're here. You would have no comprehension of grace and mercy, right? Because you would not have experienced God's grace and mercy. 
And that's why there is such this, this thing such as time. God wants us to know Him and to experience Him. And when I get to heaven and when, when, God, when we're talking about God's grace, I'm going to relate to that because I know what it was like to have been a sinner and to be saved and to be redeemed and to feel His forgiveness and His love. I'm going to know that. I'm going to appreciate that more than if I was just created in a perfect state. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. This. Whether or not, you know, I always wonder. Well, you know, what about people who've never heard about our known Christian pathway? Mm-hmm. I don't think they put limits on God. No. As to how He draws people to Him. No. We can't. But in saying that, I'm not saying that if someone believes in say Buddhism. That they're going to get to heaven because all the worlds lead. Yeah, in that case, all roads don't. But, but there are very specific, you know, being the Creator, God has set certain parameters mm-hmm. in which He expects us to live and function. Yep. If we want to live and function at optimal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is what really determines which road takes us to know Him. Right. The, the, again, the, the issue here, when you start talking about this, the omnitemporal, we start talking about God's sovereignty and things like that. Very quickly, if you're not careful, you can shoot down a branch that lands you in the her- heretical thinking. And one of the branches is the fatalism branch. Well, since God knows everything, what, why do I have to do anything? Because he already knows what I'm going to do anyway. So what's it matter whether I do this or do that or make this decision? And all I can say is the scripture teaches us very clearly that we are responsible for our choices. God holds us morally culpable for our decisions. And God, and here's the, here's the wonderful thing. You know, God rewards you when you do the right thing. Go figure that one out. God gives you the ability to make the right choices. And then when you make them, God rewards you for that. Now that's an amazing thing to me. Alright? What Omnitemporal says is that God sees all events of history in their final form. He knows infallibly what is going to happen. God knows the moment of your death. He knows that. He knew that before, before this creation existed. God knew the, day, the moment of your birth, the moment of your death. That's all part of his plan. Yes, sir? Um, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that God knows that you weren't going to take care of yourself. He knows that. But God does not make you take care of yourself. That, that's, a, that's a heady thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is one of the tough things because people say, well, God made me make this decision. No, God didn't. God knows infallibly what choices you will make ahead before you make them. He knows that, but He doesn't make you make them. Right. The same thing. God goes, well, here's your field. If you follow me, you put in the nutrients, you put in my word, your field will produce. Written in the scripture before, I mean, it gives you that same example. Right. Where if you don't follow this word, basically this fertilizer helps you grow, you're going to get what you get, which is a lesser yield. You're still going to have your life. Mm-hmm. But it could be a lot fuller if you were to follow me. And see, that's the, that, this is the... This is where, when you, when you look at this topic, you've got to be a little schizo on this. All right? 
you got to be schizo in the sense that one, okay, God knows everything. That's God's part. That's God's side. But you know what? He's not given me the playbook for my life. He's not told me all of the decisions I would make. He's like, I don't know that. Now, does God know that? Absolutely, God does. Okay, that's his business. What's my business? Well, I'm called to be obedient. I'm called to be responsible. I'm called to follow certain principles. And if I follow those principles, my life, as, as was said there, will be more full than if I don't follow those principles. And I am responsible for making those choices. But God knows omnisciently and omnitemporally all the choices I will make. But he doesn't make me make them. So you've got you, you to gotta make that balance. If not, you're going to wind up slobbering on the floor saying things unintelligibly. All right? Dan. <laughs> one, one comment. We're not totally going to get into the whole sovereignty versus free will thing here yet. Because really, this is, as you said, it's only speaking towards God's knowledge of the future, not anything about his control. Right. So I just want to make a couple points related to this. Um, and the first is that sometimes people have a hard time with this, but God, uh, because time has created reality, as we've spoken already, God is not subject to it. So he's already outside of it. And so sometimes, like C.S. Lewis uses the example that God's relationship to time is a lot like an author to his book. Like an author can, it's an analogy, but an author can, you know, write Mary, you know, enter the room. And he can leave it for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, come back and write, and then Mary said, da 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 da. Um, for Mary, that time would not have passed. But it's kind of giving that analogy that God is you know, totally separate. It's not the best analogy in the world, but that he's completely separate from that, from our timeline. Um, and so I don't know if that maybe clears things up a little bit for people, but that, that helped me in understanding that God is just, like, he doesn't, Thomas is not even an issue for him, but it doesn't mean that he's forcing something. Right. I mean, it goes back to what Peter says. One day is with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. That's not a mathematical formula to figure out what days mean in prophecy. That's not what it's talking about there. What it's talking about is to God, what we consider to be a long time to him is but a moment. And what we may be, we, what we may consider a moment, God, God's not subject to that. God does not see things like that. So... Just as an aside, one of the things people say, well, you know, if God's so powerful and God's so strong and mighty, why doesn't he, why doesn't he deal with sin? The answer is he is. But it's not on my scale of time, right? It's on God's scale of time. It's not my scale of time. What omnitemporality is talking about is that God sees everything because he is outside the box. There's a sense in which God knows infallibly all the future events of all of the decisions that all of us will make. He doesn't make us make those. He doesn't force us to make those decisions. But he knows what we will do. From our perspective in the box, we are still responsible to make decisions, to make choices. I can decide this morning if I'm going to get up and read my Bible or not. I can decide whether I'm going to go to work or not. God knows what decision I will make. He doesn't force me to make one of those decisions, but he knows what I will do. And I'm held responsible for making it. You cannot be a fatalistic a fatalist on this, where, well, what's going to happen is going to happen, so it doesn't matter what I do. Yes, it does matter what you do, because for every verse in the Bible that we can go to that shows that God knows the future, there's another verse that says, I want you to do this. There's a commandment there as well. All right? God holds us responsible. And when you look at these verses, we're not going to go through all of them here. Psalm 90 is the psalm written by Moses. It talks about, you know, God knows infallibly the number of his days. And he says, uh, teach us to apply our hearts to wisdom because of our, our time, our limited time, that we may know you. Um, Isaiah 40 through 48, this is probably the greatest passage in the entire Bible on the sovereignty of God and God's omniscience and God's concept of omnitemporality. He knows the future because again and again and again in Isaiah 40 through 48, God's um, challenge to Israel. He says, look, you know, you guys are out after all of these other gods. All right, let's settle this. Bring your gods and let's find out which one of us can tell the future. And that's the one you want to follow. And one of the things that forever separates God, and this is interesting, and Sammy brought this out, which is good, the one thing that separates Christianity from every other religion out there is that we have a God that can infallibly tell you what's going to happen before it happens. 
None of these other religions can do that. And often in the Old Testament, um, remember God, somebody would say, well, uh, God makes a promise. And they say, well, how do I know, God, you're going to keep your promise? So I'll tell you what, in about two years, this is going to happen. And when this happens, then you're going to know that what's going to happen in 2,000 years will happen as well. Often God uses proofs of his, his ability to foretell the future to prove that what he says is going to happen in two years or three years or ten years is going to happen in a thousand years. The book of Daniel is full of that. God basically gives the, a, a history of world events for the next three or four hundred years in Daniel coupled with events of the end time. And as we study Daniel, we look back and say, wow, look how, how every one of those events that Daniel predicted came true in the succeeding centuries. What does that tell you about the stuff that God's telling you about the end times? He's just as accurate there, right? If God can accurately predict the next 400 years to the minutest detail, God can predict the future. God sees it. He knows it. He understands it. He is above it. Right. All things are, all things exist simultaneously. So for God, the past, the present, and the future, He's already there in all three of them. And we don't understand that conceptually. <laughs> right. It is. I mean, there, there comes a point here, folks, when we're going to be talking about like topics like this. You get up, you, you use your intelligence, use your brain, and then you want to say, "I give up." But, you know, the Bible says very clearly, and why we say I'm like temple, the Bible says very clearly, God knows everything that's going to happen. The only way for him to know that is he has to be able to infallibly see that. And he can infallibly see that because he is the creator of time and space. He knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, somewhere, and I don't know where it is, in the Old Testament too, God laid out how you can tell the difference between a false prophet and a true prophet of God, the one who... Yep, and and that's important because there's a group down there used to be a group down in Kansas City called the Kansas City Prophets that had this concept that they were the new prophetic group that could foretell the future. And so what happened is some of their stuff started to not come true. So they tried to explain it away by saying, Well, you know, all of God's predictions are Possibilities are not really predictions. Well, that's not what the Old Testament says. If you got a prophet come into town and says something's going to happen and it doesn't, you stone him. That's the end of that. You don't. It's it's a hundred percent on that test, or you flunk, and you pay with your life because God is the only one. God is the only being in the universe that can infallibly tell you the future because He knows it. Dan, you were going to say something else. Well, I was going to say something as we talk about all of the might help us uh, to understand that our, as human beings, our knowledge is inherently tied to four-dimensional space-time. Like we, we think of everything in, in you know, the three dimensions of space coupled with time. Um, we take a long time to explain all that. But I mean, we think of everything like, well, this happened in the past, and this happened in the future. And we think of like, well, this thing could be here, but it can't be here at the same time, because everything is tied into that, you know, the dimensions of space and time. Um, and when we, when we keep in mind that God... It's just simply beyond that. That, like he said, just like, um, just like if we were trying to explain a, a reality here on two-dimensional paper. I mean, it's just like it's just limited. Um, and uh, I don't like a lot of things about Rob Bell, but he gives this one explanation. He says, you know, I could tell uh, somebody about a, a marker, and he says I could draw a circle on the board in two-dimensional, you know reality to explain. I can draw a circle and I can draw a rectangle, and both of those would be descriptions of the marker. And a person would look at that and say, it's impossible for both of these things to be the same thing, but it's because it's a, being considered in a very limited reality. It's a three-dimensional object being you know, considered in a two-dimensional reality. And um, I say, I, I know it's an analogy, but I say the same thing sometimes about theological things, like we're simply limited here. Finite beings, our knowledge is tied to four-dimensional space-time, and God is just simply beyond it. 
And so we can have little realities that might even seem to contradict, but I, I believe, and some people say it's a cop-out, but I believe it's just simply because we're limited to finite realities. Yeah. We're limited to the created order. That's how we see time. Yes, sir. Yeah, I have a question about, I guess, time and God's omnitemporality. What that necessarily causes to exist in terms of the physical reality in different parts of time? Um, let me explain one more. I'm in a metaphysics class, and uh, we're, one of the things we're talking about is the, the debate on whether the present is the only thing that exists or that the past and the future also exist. Um, like, sort of an analogy would be, in space, we say, I'm here, and, you know, the door is over there. And the analogy for time would be, like, I'm in the present, and the future is over there, but the future actually exists, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a way like that. So what I'm wondering is, if God exists, and God is omnitemporal, does that necessitate that the future and the past also exist, as in, like, you know, you, you, would, you wouldn't just conceive of one set of things mm-hmm. happening on a linear progression, but rather there's anything that's maybe the Maybe the answer to that is to us, there is a past, present, and future, because that's how God created the universe. To God, he sees everything in a way that we don't comprehend and understand. I don't know if that makes any sense. It, it depends on your frame of reference. From my frame of reference, there's a past, a present, and a future. To God's frame of reference... He not only sees that, but he sees everything all at the same time. So I guess that's not really making claims about existence, right, what you just said. And so would it be a consequence of what you said that only the present exists and that the past and the future are, I don't know, ideas, I guess? No, the past, the the present, and the future exist in real space-time. They exist as part of the universe. But for God, God sees everything because he's outside of that. And I, don't, I can't explain that any better than that. That God is outside what the, the box is. And sees it from a different perspective. I was going to say, maybe, uh, if I'm understanding your question, like, are, you, are you saying, does it already have an existence in the future? Is that what you're kind of asking? How are you doing? Are you asking, is there like a, uh, is, that, is the future a reality of some sort that already exists? Even though we're not there yet, is that exactly? See, I, I would argue that that's very possible. Like I don't think that God necessarily revealed that, but I, I would argue that that's. Well, I, I don't know. That, in that question, I don't know the answer to that. All right, from my perspective, from my frame of reference, it doesn't yet. But God sees everything. But there, to say that there's a reality there that I haven't gotten to yet, yeah, I don't. I'm, I'm not sure about that answer. Wait, wait, just sorry, just to be clear. No. Um, God. No. No. This is different. This is different. The, the thing is, God sees it all because He's outside of it all. Sammy, you're. God is the I am, not the I was, not the I will. Yeah. That's how He is omnitemporal in the first place. Yeah. He, he is totally so far outside of His created uh, concept of time that. Therefore, all that's irrelevant to him, unnecessary for him, etc. He is I am. Right. He's not the I was or the I am becoming. He is the I am. And again, folks, there's, you're gonna. There comes a point where you bring you, you get this as far as you can. <laughs> then you say, okay, I give up. I I just take it for what it says. All right. God infallibly knows the future. He knows what's going to happen. And that's from his frame of reference. Again, it all goes back to frame of reference. From my frame of reference, I see the future hasn't happened for me yet. But God knows infallibly what's going to happen, although I'm not sure he created, you know, so there's a reality there yet, you know, in, our, in, in the way he designed the universe. Could you explain it simplistically from Charles Dickens, a quick <laughs> <laughs> Think of it that way, but it's all yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Probably the easy way is like if you have a DDR or VCR, you know like that the stuff you're watching occurred. You can pause at any point, come back to it, and watch it. You can sit there, fast forward, and you can see all the events, and come back to the beginning and see it. But as you're watching, it's as you're living that moment. Yeah. It's kind of like what God can do with our life. He already knows the end of the episode. 
he knows at the beginning and he can choose to go anywhere he wants and pause it and he would be paused in that moment but his he would already be making dinner yeah. at the same time going back and forth so it's not he's confined to our life right He's not confined to time. And, and again, look folks, this is the, you gotta think about this long and hard. And even when you do, you're gonna get a point where you're just not gonna f- comprehend God. Um, and that's because He's infinite, you're not. Alright, He's, He's far beyond our ability to comprehend. Which is, which shows some of His greatness. He's far greater than we make Him out to be. Um, Faith comes in and you just got to say, you know, this is what the Bible tells me. I accept it even though I can't put it together in my mind. I just take it for what it says. Yeah. Just one more thing as an analogy. People in space, looking at the planet Earth, see yesterday and tomorrow oxygen orient enough hours so it's somewhere in the world. Yeah, it's another way to look at it. Yeah. Let's talk about omniscience. <laughs> okay, we spent 40 minutes on one slide. This is not good. Um, here, I thought I had, I didn't have enough material for today. Um, but you know, this is good. You, you're, this is what you're supposed to do. You know, if I get through this today, that's great. If I don't, we'll pick it up next week. All right. Um, omniscience. Omniscience is closely coupled with this concept of omnitemporality. In fact, they're almost identical in, 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 in some respects. It means God knows everything in infinite detail with no effort. That's an important thing. You don't go to God and say, ask God a question. Okay, let me think. Um, 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 oh, here's the answer. He knows it right like that. Immediately knows everything. In infinite detail. He knows all the details. There's nothing that God does not know. It's interesting, somebody did a survey a while back. and One of the questions was, does God understand nuclear physics? And most people said, no, he doesn't. All right, well, let's think about that a minute. Who created this in the first place? All right, of course he does. God knows everything. God understands everything. All right, and this is something interesting. You know, when you pray to God, you're not informing him of stuff he doesn't know. A lot of times we pray to God, say, God, you know, you don't know how bad a day I had today. God says, you know, I really don't. I'm going to have to ask some angel what went on in your life. God knows. He understands. He comprehends everything. And that is something that we, our brains short circuit on that. What is it like to know everything? God does. Now, some say, well, when we get to heaven, we'll know everything too. No, you won't. You'll, you'll know a lot more than you do now, right? But are you going to be omniscient? Can God create another omniscient being? No, he cannot. The reason he can't create another omniscient being is because that being would not know what existed before that being existed. Right? Think about that one a little bit. God cannot create an omniscient being. God cannot create another being outside the boundaries of space and time because by very definition of being created, you had a beginning. Alright? God is beyond that. God knows everything. All the details. So what about Satan? What about Satan? What's... You're talking about the origin of evil? We're going to get to that, but I'll give you a short answer. I'm so, yeah, it's, it's something he, I think he really wants to know. And that's great. That's wonderful. We're going to, we're going to talk in some detail about theodicy in a couple of weeks here. But um, we mean by God knows everything. God knows, God knew that Satan would fall. He knew that. God knew that Eve would eat of that fruit and God knew that Adam would follow her. God knew that. God knew that you would be born. God knew that you would be here. By the way, did you know that God, before time began, God knew that every one of you would be in this class at this time listening to me, and he knew what I would say. Think about that one. That's a, that's a heady one. God knows it all. But here's, here's the thing that the Scripture teaches very clearly. Although God knows everything, God does not ordain everything. If you mean by that, God ordained that Satan would fall. Because if God ordained Satan would fall, what would that make God the author of? Sin. Evil. Can God do that? Can God? No. Look, I don't understand that. 
I don't understand that. When God created Satan, God created Satan with the capacity to choose. And God knew what choice Satan would make. He knew that. Satan did not take him by surprise. God knew exactly what would happen. But did God make Satan do that? No, he did not. He created Lucifer, the son of the morning, the greatest angel, the brightest angel, the most glorious being. I mean, when you look at God's creation, the number one being that God created was Lucifer, son of the morning. And because of his pride, he fell and became Satan, the arch enemy. God knew that would happen. God did not force Satan to do that. And God knew that Eve would be deceived. And God knew that Adam would take the fruit and eat it. God knew that the human race would be plunged in sin. He knew that before it happened. But he did not ordain that. The Bible nowhere says that God ordains evil. And I don't understand that. I just have to take it for what it says. Yes? So, the one you said that he hardened Sarah's heart, what was there's, there's a way to, the way to understand hardening of heart. When you look at that passage, what you find is that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then there came a point in which God confirmed his hardening by hardening Pharaoh's heart. You understand what I just said? What did God know that Pharaoh would do? Infallibly. God knew this. Before time began, God knew. What would Pharaoh do? Pharaoh knew, God knew that Pharaoh would refuse to let his people go. So when God brought the plagues along, what did he know Pharaoh was going to do? Not do it. From God's perspective, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But from the human perspective, what did Pharaoh do? Pharaoh hardened his heart. Look, you've got to be a little schizo. I'm going to turn you all into schizos in here. You've got to be a little schizo on this. Did God make Judas betray Christ? No, he didn't make Judas betray Christ. But what did God know Judas would do if left to himself? That he would do that. Judas betrayed Christ. When you look at Judas, you say, well, you know, Judas, why in the world would you do that? You know, He came with reasonable responses for why he did that. God did not force Judas to do that. But God knew that Judas would do that. He knew the part that Judas would play. God knew Pharaoh would harden his heart. And because God knew that Pharaoh would harden his heart and not let Israel go, God then brought those plagues so that when Israel finally went, there would be no mistake as to who got Israel out of there. Now, if Moses would have gone up the first time and said, Pharaoh, you know, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, oh, sure, fine, leave. Think about that. What would we know about God? I mean, by Pharaoh hardening his heart, we see a deliverance of God. Where he, he destroyed the number one socio-political economic entity of the day. God got his people out of there. So from the human perspective, and this is, we're going to talk more about the. I'm sorry to say we're going to talk more about this, but we can't get it all here because we'd be here till, till all hours of the night and still not get anywhere. There's a mystery in which, from God's perspective, God, there are certain individuals, for example, Pharaoh... God knew what Pharaoh would do. And Romans 9 says God brought Pharaoh on the stage of world events to play the part that Pharaoh played. God did not make Pharaoh make those decisions. God knew that he would do it, and God used Pharaoh's rebellion and hard heart to affect his eternal purposes. Did that make any sense? You know, look at a person... I'm second here. Look at a person. You know, God offers salvation to everybody, right? That's a bona fide offer, by the way. But God knows who will and will not believe, right? And if you don't believe and you harden your heart and you harden your heart and you harden your heart, what may God do someday? He may not bother you anymore. Yeah, he's, he's letting you do what you want to do. And you see that in Romans 1. In Romans 1, you see the downward spiral where men do not accept God. They don't worship him as God. And God gives them over to their passions. God gives them up. It's not that God is necessarily 
forcing a man to make those decisions. But if you go down that path, what will happen to your heart? It will harden. I'm sorry, you're... And what you find in the scriptures, God is not God is not um, the initiator of the hardening. You are. You you harden your heart, and only after you harden your heart so long, does then it comes in. Okay, God will harden the heart, because you will not believe. There comes a point when you cannot believe. All right. And again, that's 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 a that's a tension in this. All right. God, God knew Pharaoh would do what Pharaoh did. God infallibly knew that. And God allowed Pharaoh his own natural prideful inclinations. All right? But the wonderful thing about God's omniscience and omnitemporality and sovereignty is God even uses the hardness of hearts, the rebellion of men, to affect his eternal purposes. You, you know, you, you're not going to get around that. And that's part of when we talk about providence and things like that. That's where this comes into play. But God's omniscience means He knows everything. His knowledge is boundless. One of the one of the things He asks in the Scripture says, "Anybody out there going to counsel me on something? You're going to inform me. You're going to give me advice. If I needed something, I wouldn't ask you. God doesn't need our advice. You know, you realize that God does not need your advice on how to fix your problems in life." A lot of times when we pray, we want one of the interesting things I found very early on in my prayer life is whenever I prayed, I would always have this picture of how God was going to answer my prayer. You know how many times He did it the way I thought He would? Zero. He doesn't, he doesn't operate that way. Because God knows things that I don't even know. God understands things beyond me. And God doesn't need me to inform Him how He should answer my prayer. Although, you know, we all have this idea of, well, God's going to do it this way. Look, God usually does it a different way just so that we understand that He is the one who knows what's happening and He knows what's going on. Well, like your movie, Bruce Almighty, mm-hmm. where she said, Oh, I can't keep all those emails. He put yes to all the prayers. And then she asked, Broke the everyone the lottery. The mm-hmm. Buffalo State was one Stanley Cup. And like the entire city was full of destruction because as Bruce became God, He said yes to everything. And I think that's a perfect example when we look at it pray for our prayers to be answered the way they are, total chaos And our prayer is not as much to twist God's arm to make Him do what I want Him to do, but rather it's to line myself up with what He already wants to do. It's to bring myself in alignment with His will, with His desires. And let Him worry about the details of how He's going to answer this or that or the other thing. Because a lot of times we want Him to do it our way. And when he doesn't do it our way, what happens? We become disillusioned. This is, by the way, one of the major errors in the charismatic movement where there's an idea that somehow God is my servant. He, he, he's got to do things my way. God is not my servant. God, God, does not, God is under no obligation to do anything for me. He, is not, he, he, he doesn't owe me anything. I owe him everything. And I need to align myself up with His will and His purposes and His desires. And then it will work out. And it may not be the way I thought it would happen. But God knows infallibly the best. He knows what should happen and how it should because He knows it. And God knows everything that could have happened but didn't. That's another one. God not only knows what will happen, He knows what could have happened. And that brings us into this next one here, this omni-sapiens, the wisdom God is all wise. Yes, sir. Under the uh, infinity, how do you understand the statement? God knows what could have happened, but did not as well as what will happen. Okay. God knows. God knows what will happen. 
right? We, we've established that. God knows infallibly what's going to happen. But God knows what could have happened. He knows all the different scenarios that could have happened but didn't. Because he's infinite. Does that make any sense? He knows what will happen. He knows what could have happened. Omnisapience means that God is all wise. What does that mean? He knows all the facts and makes all decisions with full knowledge of the ultimate best. Remember what it says in Romans 8.28? God works all things for the good. This, this is a very comforting thing. You know, nothing is going to enter your life as a believer that takes God by surprise, that shocks Him. All right? And everything that happens to you, every trial, every mistake that you make, every error in life, every bad decision, all of that, God is going to work out for your ultimate good. You're not going to be able to thwart God's plans and purposes. The only question you ask is how well are you cooperating with that? That's the question I ask. How well am I cooperating with God in my life? Because God knows all of the things. Every decision. In fact, one of the, one of the passages God says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, God says the wisdom of God, the, the, the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man. You take, if you want to compare to, you know, has God ever done a dumb thing? But if, if you want to just for the sake of argument say, take the dumbest thing God ever did. That is infinitely greater than the wisest thing mankind has ever done. Now, again, God has not done any dumb thing. But, God, but there's trying to draw a comparison there that the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man. Far greater. You know, I mean, stop and think about it. You know, we have problems in the world today and we get all these experts to get together. And what answers do they come up with? All the wrong ones. All right? Because... God, God is infinite. He infinitely knows. He is all wise. And He's going to do what is best. And that's, that's the thing. As His child, I know that whatever God does in my life is for my best. Even if it's painful, it's for the best. And He's going to do His purposes. And I can take comfort and rest assured. And it's not like, you know, sometimes people go through a trial and say, Does God know what He's doing? Yeah, He does. <laughs> He knows exactly what he's doing. God, do you understand what I'm going through? Yeah, he does. He knows. God, you know, why me? God says, I have a reason, a purpose, a plan for you. God is all wise. He makes the right decision. He makes no mistakes. God's never made a mistake. Not one. And what we may think, when we look around and we think, well, God really doesn't know what he's doing over here. You know what? When, when the end of time comes, we're going to look back and say, you know, it's amazing how he worked all of that out for his eternal purposes. Nothing takes God by surprise. His wisdom is the practical application of his knowledge to the attainment of his perfect goals. God knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows the plan. He knows his plan for your life and nothing is going to come into your life. And this is a great thing, Romans 8.28. Nothing comes into your life that is not there for a purpose and a reason. And even the bad things, God will overrule for his eternal glory. Now that doesn't let you off the hook when you make a bad decision, right? You're still responsible for your bad decisions, but no bad decision you make will thwart God's eternal plan for you. And that's that's... To me, that's an amazing thing. Um, omnipotence. Is this the last one? Oh, we've got one more. Omnipotence. What does that mean? God can do... We, we talk about this a lot, so we don't have to spend a lot of time talking about this particular thing. But it means God can do anything that's in harmony with His nature. Anything. God is not limited in His ability to perform things. Um, and it's in harmony with all of His other attributes. So if God has decided something is going to happen, nothing will thwart the plan of God. And by the way, that gives you some great uh, comfort when it comes to Satan, right? Is Satan going to be able to overthrow the plan of God? Absolutely not. Because Satan is part of the box. He's inside creation, right? God is outside. Satan is inside. And can God create another omnipotent being? 
No, because by very definition of being created, you're not omnipotent. God cannot create Satan so strong that Satan can win. Satan is not going to win. Satan is not going to pull it off. Satan is not going to thwart the plan of God. And no human ruler running around the Middle East or anywhere else, running amok, is going to do anything to thwart God's plans and purposes. In fact, God says in Isaiah, I love Isaiah chapter 40, God says, you know, the, the armies of the world and the rulers of the world, they're like dust on a scale. What does that mean? Well, when you go to get your stuff weighed at the grocery store, you don't tell them to wipe the scale off of the dust because that will affect how much meat you get. The dust is irrelevant. It means nothing. He says the nations are like a drop in a bucket. A drop in a bucket is irrelevant. If you take a bucket to get a gallon of water and you've got one drop in it, you're not going to wash it out to get that extra drop of water. As far as God's turned, the nations of the world, the powers of the world, everything, all the power of mankind is nothing. It's dust on a scale. It's a drop in a bucket. Nothing is going to thwart his plans. He is omnipotent. His power, in his, his thing here, his purposes is never frustrated. God is not up in heaven saying, Stop God, I wish they would work, work with me on this. This is not going to work out. His, he's not frustrated. God is not wringing his hands in heaven. And Philippians 4.13 says, this is interesting, if we do everything according to His will, you know what? He can do things through us that are amazing. If we line up with Him. God is omnipotent. All-powerful. Um, that was the last one. one. Alright, good. All right. Look at that. I'm right on. I'm 15 seconds early. <laughs> On the other hand, um, I see it as having been delayed because of our free will, thus bringing sin into the world, thus for an example, his promise to Abraham and Sarah got delayed because of their disobedience. Well, well, here's something to think about. Did it really get delayed? Well, from his perspective, you're right. Huh? From God's perspective, nothing got delayed. <laughs> now, from our perspective, you know, it looks that way, right? Yeah. From our from our little box, our little per- time of perspective, it looks like, you know, Abraham delayed the promises of God because of his you know, um, difficulties there. But from God's eternal perspective, God knew perfectly <laughs> what was going to happen. And, and, and here's the other thing, and, and that's a good, good thing to bring out. From God's perspective, everything is going to happen at the exact right moment. When did Christ come? In the fullness of time. At the exact instant that God planned it, Christ came. Everything's on schedule. And again, just, just to leave you with this, to think about this this week, you've got to look at this from the two different perspectives. From God's perspective, God sees all, knows all, nothing's going to take him by surprise, everything is, is, is set in a sense. Then you've got to step into our perspective. And from our perspective, I don't have the playbook. I don't know the end of the story. God has called me to do certain things. He's called me to be obedient. He's called me to pray. He's called me to witness. He's called me to live out the spiritual disciplines, to have a relationship with Him. I'll let Him worry about what's going to happen, but He holds me responsible for doing my part. And you've got to maintain those two perspectives. If you don't, you're going to wind up into some odd thinking. Either fatalism, it's all set, why do I need to do anything because it doesn't matter, or you're going to step into this idea that you can manipulate and twist God's arm and make Him do things for you. Both of those are bad. All right. So next week we're going to talk about sovereignty. And probably we're going to hit the theodicy question. Where did sin come from? So Seth, you'll have to be here next week. All right. And we got more donuts over there. So eat those. So let's close in prayer. Be sure you, you sign the um, attendance form, please. Please. And could somebody make a quick count of how many people are in here so that we know? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your provision. We thank you that um, 
you revealed yourself. And admittedly, Father, as we look at these things, our brain stops because um, we just can't comprehend you in, in many ways. But, but this is what you've told us you are. We, you've told us that you know the future. You've told us you know what's going to happen. You've told us that nothing takes you by surprise. So we just rest assured in that. But I pray that that would not keep us from doing our part, from being responsible, from, from our obedience to you. Thank you, Father, for this time and pray that you would help us as we ponder these truths that we may know them. In Christ's name, amen.